1: Father, thank you so much that this the the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Help us, Lord, this morning as we open your word to be in tune with our Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you take your Bibles, please, and turn in them to Psalm 22. Psalm 22, we're going to be considering a part here of this wonderful revelation of God. Psalm 22. Psalm 22, verse 1. This is to the chief musician. This is a psalm of David. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping and from the words of my roaring? O oh my God, I cry in the daytime, but thou hearest not. In the night season, I'm not silent, but thou art holy. O thou that inhabitest the praises of Israel. Our fathers trusted in thee, they trusted. Thou dost deliver them. They cried unto thee and were delivered. They trusted in thee. They weren't not confused, conf- confounded. But I am a worm and no man, a reproach of men and despise of the people. All they that see me laugh me to scorn. They shoot out the lip, they shake the head, saying, He trusted on the Lord that he would deliver him. Let him deliver him, seeing he delighted in him. But thou art he that took me out of the womb. Thou didst make me hope. When I was upon my mother's breast, I was cast upon thee from the womb. Thou art my God from my mother's belly. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, and there is none to help. Many bulls have compassed me. Strong bulls of Bashan have beset me round. They gaped upon me with their mouths. As a ravening and a roaring lion, I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax that is melted in the midst of my bowels. This is a portion of Scripture which is just really not very easy to consider because this psalm, Psalm 22, deals with the greatest pain that a soul can have. And that's, a, that's where a troubled soul feels that God is not hearing his prayers anymore. And this was the soul pain that the Lord Jesus experienced in his first words of this psalm when he says in verse one, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken Me and why art thou so far from helping me? And for the words of my roaring, oh my god, I cry in the daytime, but thou hearest not, and in the night season, I'm not silent. Those words, thou hearest not, they tell it all, they tell it all, they express this deep pain in the soul from the feeling of just having been forsaken by God, and that prayer is just not like praying to the heavens that are brass. And this was the soul pain that the Lord Jesus experienced on the cross, which was far worse than the pain of his flesh that was torn, the tissue that was exposed. This was the pain that went deeper into his soul, into the Savior's soul. And we see here that that when the Lord looked at himself, he said about himself, I'm a worm. I'm a worm. I am a worm i am low ish I am no longer a man. I'm not a man. He sees himself in this state because the because, the Lord, because the because man had put him into this state. He sees himself when he says, I am a reproach of the people. That word reproach is the word shame. He sees himself as a national shame to the people of Israel, which is how he's viewed today. He's a reproach of men. And of all the words that the Lord could have used to describe himself, to give the explanation why you would say, he would say, Why am I in this state? It's the word despised. Despised. How would you define that word? How would you define that word despised? Is it hatred? Well, it is hatred, but it has another layer, even deeper than hatred. Despise does not capture, hatred does not capture what despise means. Because really, the word despise is made up of two words. It's made up of two words, Latin "de," the first part, which means down, to, the, and second word in, in Latin "spesere." It means it means to look. It means to look. So, despise literally means to look down on. And so, the Lord says, "I am a worm." In verse six, He says, "In verse six, I am a worm despised, despised." He says, "I'm a worm." He thinks of all the animals. And he he, he picks up, this is the perfect animal to describe me by. Because the worm is despised. It's looked down on. There's no S-P-C-W. There's no Society for the Prevention of Worms, Cruelty of Worms. Because a worm is looked down on. No pity. It's just a despised animal. And this was the first soul pain that the Lord Jesus felt on the cross. It was this soul pain of being forsaken by God. Why hast thou forsaken me? he cries in verse one. It's the soul pain of not being heard by God. In verse two, thou hearest not. It's the soul pain of being viewed by the people he came to save as a national shame. In verse six, a reproach of the people. It's the soul pain of being despised and valued no longer as a man, but as a worm. He said, I am a worm and no man despised. There's no shame that can discourage a believer more than to be mocked for trusting in God. And that's what happened to him in verse eight when it was said to them, he trusts on the Lord that he would deliver him. Let him deliver him, seeing he delighted in him. This was the most deadly shot that the devil aimed at the Lord. As it was designed to rob the Lord of hope by mocking the promises of God. And there's the Savior on the cross. He is naked. He is despised. Every time, at the end of the day, when you take your clothes off, remember that. He was naked on the cross. There's never been a discouragement like this discouragement. Just this last month, as you know, a pastor took his life. Why did the pastor take his life? Because of discouragement, and yet no one knew. That he was suffering from this discouragement until he took out that forty-five and 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 shot himself. How do you fight against discouragement? What is the weapons? What is the strategy to fight against that discouragement? Right here's the answer in Psalm 22. We learn so much from the Lord here as we see him suffering so much. We see him so discouraged, and we learn how to fight against discouragement because no one has been ever more discouraged than the Lord was here in Psalm 22 discouraged from being forsaken by God, discouraged from not being heard by God, discouraged from being stripped naked and, and viewed as a national shame, discouraged from being despised to a non-human point of being a worm, discouraged from being mocked for trusting in God. But in these verses, in verses 9 through 11, we see the Lord fight back. He's fighting back on the discouragement. And the most important word that the Lord said in his fight against discouragement is the first word of verse 9. First word of verse 9 where he says, but, but, that word is the statement by the Lord that he was not going to give in to discouragement. He was going to put up a fight. The Lord has just prayed, he's recounted all the reasons why he should be discouraged He's been forsaken, he's unheard, he's shamed, he's reduced to the level of a worm, he's despised, he's mocked. And the Lord was a very sensitive man. And all this was enough to crush anyone. So what did the Lord do in the face of all this discouragement? He said, but. But, that was the same as the Lord saying, no, no, I will not give in, I will fight. Reminds me of a Washington, D.C. news anchor, Bruce Johnson for Channel 9, and he had a sore throat, so a lump in his throat, it was sore, and he went to, uh, to, to Georgetown University to be, to be diagnosed, and he talks about he was there for nine hours, and everybody was like, oh, you got a cold, like me, you got a cold, you got this, you got that, and finally it was him who said, could this be cancer? And it was, it was non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. So he wrote an article, and the article is entitled, I'd be lying if I I said I didn't think about dying. And and in the article, Bruce talked about starting out with the spirit of fight. I'm gonna kick cancer. And halfway through the chemo, Bruce said that he gave up and he surrendered to cancer. And that was the time, he was very discouraged. There was no more fight left in him. It was interesting what God did. That was a time when God sent a little five-year-old neighbor boy named Malcolm And Malcolm came over to Bruce's house every day, and he would knock on the door, and he would yell from out there and said, hey, Bruce, just just, going to come in and look around for a while. (laughs) And if if Bruce didn't come to the door, little Malcolm would would put his, his mouth up to the mail slot and say, Bruce, Bruce, open the door, open the door. And Malcolm would go in and play with Bruce's dog and eat cookies and watch TV with Bruce, and... And, um, and, and Bruce, Bruce had given up fighting against cancer, but Malcolm helped him pull through. But the Lord didn't have a little Malcolm. He didn't have a little Malcolm there on the cross to come up and encourage him on the cross. The Lord was all alone in this and still being all alone in verse nine, he says, but, because that was the Lord, he said, I will not give up. I will not surrender to the devil. I will not surrender to this discouragement. And even though the Lord has been forsaken by God, the Lord Jesus does not forsake God. You ever been in a pool? I was thinking, where are you, Ken? There you are. Never forget what she said at a prayer meeting one time. You ever been in a pool with a child that that can't swim and you're holding that child and then all of a sudden you stop holding the child? You know what that child does? He grabs a hold of you and he clings to your neck, the child clings, and this is what the Lord is doing here. The Lord is clinging to God, even though He, God, has taken His hands away. He forsook the Lord Jesus, and the Lord Jesus, like that child, is clinging to God. And He says in verse nine, "But Thou art He." Verse nine, "Thou art He that took me out of the womb. Thou didst make me hope when I was upon my mother's breast." Well, I always wonder what a kid thinks about on his mother's breast. Anyways, hope in God. So the first strategy is a strategy of clinging is where the Lord Jesus reminds God of how God brought him out of his mother's womb and made him hope when he was nursing. This is the clinging of purpose, of purpose. The position that the Lord is taking to argue here is that God, you had a, pus- you had a purpose when you brought me into the world and it was not to lead me to a meaningless death. And, and, and this is the argument that Moses used With God, When God was on the verge of destroying Israel for their sin, and Moses argued with God along those same lines, in Numbers 14.11, Numbers 14.11, the Lord said unto Moses, How long will this people provoke me, and how long will it be ere they believe me, for all the signs which I have showed among them? I will smite them with the pestilence, disinherit them, make thee a greater nation and mightier than they. Moses said unto the Lord, Then the Egyptians will hear it. For thou broughtest up this people and thy might from among them. They will tell it to the inhabitants of this land. For they have heard that the Lord art among his people, that thou, Lord, art seen face to face, and thy cloud standeth over them, and that thou goest before them by day in a pillar of a cloud, in a pillar of fire at night. Now, if thou kill this, if thou kill this people as one man, then the nations which have heard the fame of thee will speak, saying, because the Lord was not able... To bring this people into the land which he sware unto them. Therefore he hath slain them in the wilderness. Now, Lord, I beseech thee, let the power of my Lord be great according as thou hast spoken, saying, The Lord is long suffering, great mercy, forgiving iniquity, transgression, by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children of the third and fourth generation. Pardon, I pray thee, the iniquity of this people. Moses argues with the Lord. He's arguing with the Lord that, Lord, you brought Israel out of Egypt in order to, with the purpose of, for the end of, bringing them to the land of promise. And it is this in order to argument. It is this you for the purpose of, for the end of, that Moses was successful in arguing with God. And this is what the Lord Jesus is doing here in verse 9. He is arguing with God. You took me out of the womb. You made me hope when I was upon my mother's breast for the purpose And this cannot be the final purpose of God, to see me crushed by discouragement. And that teaches us what to do when we're discouraged. It's to have this clinging faith. It's that where we look back over our lives, we see the deliverances that God has brought to our lives, and we pray along the same lines, you did not bring me to this point in life just to destroy me. It reminds me of what happened to a missionary named Frederick Olford. Frederick Olford was the father of Stephen Olford. Billy Graham said that Stephen Olford was the man who influenced him the most in his life. Frederick Olford was, a, was um, as I mentioned, he was the father of Stephen Olford, and he was a missionary that went on the turn of the century 1900, to, to Angola around 1900 to bring the gospel to the natives. And one day, Frederick Olford was walking to a particular village that was far away, like Frank was talking about, Talks a time, but it was different then. And he, they were walking and walking in the long grass in Africa, and it was dry, and it was hot, and water had run out, and their eyes started to bulge from dehydration, and they were on the brink of dying for lack of water. And it was at that time that Fred Olford got down on his knees, and he prayed out loud, and Stephen Olford was there, he recounted it, for everyone to hear, and he prayed, Oh God, You have not brought us to Africa to just die here for lack of water. Please send water. And Stephen Olford writes about it. And he says, the heavens became black. A great cloudburst happened. They drank and drank and drank. That was the faith of clinging, to not give in to the discouragement. And that's what the Lord is doing here in verses 9 through 11. Now, many, when faced with this level of discouragement the Lord faced, would just give up, just give up on God. Like another pastor I heard about this last week who had a thriving church in Alaska. And then there were hard times. The church disbanded. Doesn't go to church anymore. Doesn't even hardly call himself Christian. But what did the Lord do in verse 10? He says, I was cast upon thee from the womb. Thou art my God from my mother's belly. He doesn't just call God God. He says, my God, you are my God from my father's, from my mother's belly. He had already talked about our fathers, not the fathers, our fathers trusted in thee. He owns the fathers of Israel. He owns the God of Israel personally. Now the Lord sees trouble all around him and he's oppressed with that when he says in verse 11, be not far from me for trouble is near and there's none to help. The Lord especially feels that he's all alone, no Malcolm to come and encourage him now. There's no help for him now. No five year old little boy is going to come up to him. He's, but he's not really alone he, he, because he's talking about that, that, that there are many around him. They haven't come to help him, they've come to destroy him. So he looks and he sees his enemies in verse 12. In verse 12, he says, Many bulls have compassed me, strong bulls of Bashan have beset me round. So he looks around. He looks around, and he sees many. He says, many. He says, many bulls have compassed me. We can imagine the Lord. He's looking at them individually. He's trying to identify them individually. It's hard for him. There's so many of them. He's afraid. He's afraid of the sight. These are vicious. And he calls them the bulls of Bashan. Of all the animals that he could have chosen again, he's described himself as a worm. He describes his enemies as bulls. The Lord chose the bulls. What does the bull do? The bull gores and tramples like the bulls you see in the in the in the in the good bullfights in a good bullfight they they know how to use their horns to gore the matadors are killed by them and this is how the lord sees his enemies that they they're goring him he says that he's seeing them as they're goring him he felt as though he's been gored through he felt as though his hands had been gored through he felt as though his feet had been gored through with the horns of a bull now, some of us are very sensitive to some marking on our body, like Gorbachev. He had that birthmark on his head, on his face. And, and, and that's how others always saw Gorbachev. That he, and that's how Gorbachev saw himself, with an identifying birthmark on his face. Maybe you have something on your body that identifies you. But maybe there's something on you that, you that you can't picture yourself. Maybe you have red hair. Anyway, the Lord had something like that on his body that he could not picture himself without for all eternity. And it defines the Lord. And those are the gore holes from the bull's abation in his hands and in his feet. And the Lord is very sensitive to these gore holes on his hands and his feet. As a matter of fact, there was a time when the Lord identified himself. He said, look, it's really me, it's really me. Look at the gore holes, look at the holes. He said in, in Luke uh, 24, 39, Luke twenty four thirty nine, when he said, behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see a spirit that hath not flesh and bones as you see me have. Just think of those words. Think of those words. Behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. For all eternity, the Lord will be sensitive to the gore holes in his hands and in his feet. Those holes in his hands and his feet are the emblems of who he is. It's the emblems of his love for us. Those holes in his hands and his feet speak of his willingness to suffer and to die for our sins forever. He remembers the day when he willingly surrendered. They didn't have to fight him down. They didn't have to hold him. They didn't have to say, come on, you soldiers, come on with this. We got to hold this one down. No, he willingly surrenders his hands, his feet, to the Roman bulls of Bashan for them to gore him through with the nails like a bull would gore its victim. How tender it is to hear the Lord now say in Luke 24, 39, 24, 39 behold my hands and my feet. This was his answer to the question, is it really you, Jesus? Is it really you, Lord Jesus? His answer, behold, my hands and my feet. That will be his answer through all eternity when he's asked the question, do you love man? Do you really love man? His answer would be, do I love man? Behold, my hands and my feet. Do you really care what's happening? Like the hymn says, does Jesus care? Do you really care what's happening to me? Does Jesus care when my heart is broken? His answer, do I care? Behold, my hands and my feet. That's going to be his answer throughout all eternity to the question, are you really the good shepherd? You're really the good shepherd that cares for your sheep? Am I really the good shepherd? Behold my hands and my feet.
0: Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher Tom Cantor here on Friendship with God. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestorationministries.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box seven one one three P.O. Box seven one one three three zero 330 Santee, California, Santee, California, 92071.
2: Join Tom Cancer for the second annual Israel Restoration Ministries Jewish Evangelism and Training Conference in San Diego, California, February 22nd and 23rd at the Creation and Earth History Museum. Early bird registration, only $99, includes a two-day conference pass, meals, teaching, Creation Museum and Tabernacle admission, plus over $150 worth of equipping resources, Come hear Tom Cancer, Dr. Michael Brown, Dan Sered, and more on how we can reach the lost in America and Israel on February 22nd and 23rd. Call 619-599-1104, 619-599-1104, or sign up at ReachIsrael.com. That's ReachIsrael.com Get into the Christmas spirit this year with the Friendship with God Christmas album and hymnal book. With over 50 different arrangements on holiday classics, this four disc set features solo vocalists, group ensembles, and classical piano tracks, and is perfect for road trips, family get togethers, and holiday parties. In addition to the audio CDs, you'll also receive a copy of the largest hymnal ever published. Containing over a thousand hymns and melodies, this hardbound hymnal book and CD set make for a great gift this holiday season. Order this Christmas bundle today for just $29.99 online at friendshipwithgod.org. For more information, call 619-599-1104. That's 619-599-1104.